0: Please remain standing for a scripture lesson. We're still early in 1 John. We're 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen, dear saints. We are today entering the fourth of our installments in this 1 John series. And believe it or not, it ends the first of only five chapters that make up this small but very amazing epistle. But before we look into it, as always, let's approach the throne of grace again in prayer. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the light of the world and that he has given this message that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We thank you that this is a, a text for sinners that have been called to you by grace. Thank you that you have cared for us in our estate where we were needy and are needy. And we thank you that you have given us everything we need in Jesus' Feed him to us now through the word preached, and the sacrament, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's scripture lesson that Elder Craig just read a few moments ago is one that is extremely encouraging for sinners, but only for honest sinners. Uh, Keep that in mind. Everybody's a sinner, and one of the hardest things in the world to do is to admit it. It would appear to be an easy thing, but actually no one outside of Christ is ever able to do it. For those who are dishonest sinners, they are sinners, but especially the religious ones will find verses 5 through 10 to be more a threat than a blessing. So the obvious question then for every one of us here today and anyone else hearing this sermon would be, how do I know I am an honest sinner and not a phony religionist or a pretending atheist or something like that, who believes the voluminous packs of lies that come from both the religious and secular worlds at us all the time. As the world lies in complete deception, darkness, and sin, death, and lying. Constantly. The world is a place of lies. Now that's a really good question, isn't it? <clears throat> How do I know I'm an honest sinner, not a dishonest one? The answer will be revealed to us throughout the verses of our lesson for today, throughout the balance of 1 John, and throughout our own lives, consciences, and experiences, our hearts. The key to a happy rectification of that query or that question, or the issue of am I an honest sinner or not, will be unveiled by this goal which we have for this Resurrection Day, this New Covenant Sabbath Day, which is to receive Christ's message with faith, humility, and joy. If we can actually do that, then we are honest sinners who will find these verses to be a blessing and not dishonest ones who will only find more curse on it. Let's look together in a moment at First John 1, 5 through 10. We're starting the outline here, the Christ's message to the church and the world. The doctrine, Christ's message to us all reveals God as perfectly true and holy. Now, Elder Craig started the scripture lesson today with verse 5. And in it, he read the words from him there in verse 5. Now, it's important that we recognize that the him referenced there is the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the last person of the divine Godhead referenced earlier in verse 3. So, when it says this is the message we have from him, of course, whenever we talk about one member of the Trinity, all three are in some way involved, but in particular... This is a message that's coming to the church and the world from Christ himself. And the main bulk and key verse of today's lesson is this verse 5, which we just spoke of, which finds Jesus proclaiming to everyone through his apostles, in this case the Apostle John, that God is, quote, light, and that in him, God, there is no darkness at all. Now, isn't that a remarkable thing? I'll explain that to you as best I can in the sermon a little bit later. Everything else that we find in these very familiar verses, many of us memorized First John 1, 9 many years ago, which we usually think of concerning all this great Doctrine about confession and forgiveness. All of it, though, is predicated on this hugely important doctrinal statement that we just read that God is light. So, whenever you read all the rest of that, that if we confess our sins, if we speak the truth, it's because we are walking in that light of who Jesus Christ is, the light of the world. So, let us now flesh out this fact that Christ's message to us all reveals God as perfectly true and holy. First, this is what John means by God is light. In other words, the supremely significant doctrinal statement that God is light is primarily teaching us that God is completely truthful and absolutely holy. But dears, this reality is both comforting and scary for us sinners, if we understand it. And our reassurance or our fear will entirely depend upon how honest or honorable, by God's grace, we will be able to be with God himself and with our own hearts. All of it depends on how honest we can be with ourselves about our real state in life, in a fallen world, and then in Jesus Christ, in his church, in the fullness of the Spirit. If it is discovered that our hearts are truly and sincerely contrite, are broken, are repentant, are humble before God, if we have hearts that claim zero goodness, no righteousness, no justification, nothing good about ourselves whatsoever, if that can be said, and it can be said that we fully deserve God's wrath if we are left to ourselves, then this attitude, when mixed with saving faith in Jesus Christ, proves that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sin, which we're going to read about in these glorious verses. But if one's religion is nothing more than the world's false, lying, proud arrogance, then despite all the claims to self-righteousness and how wonderful people are and how they are justice warriors and doing good in the world— These people will rightly be condemned to eternal death. So, as we can easily see, there's an awful lot at stake here in this most important consideration. Christ's message to us all reveals God is perfectly true and holy. This is what John means by God is light. And all the speeches that follow are either in the light or in the darkness. Now, one of the things that I found very fascinating about these six verses of our scripture lesson for today, as I was studying it this week, is the various orations or speeches that are made by sinful human speakers in this text. In fact, note the outline there I referenced for you, 6a, 8a, 9a, and 10a. And 6a, 8a, and 10a are premised by John's use of three words, if we say, if we say, if we say. But the statement that really makes the big difference here is what we see at the beginning of verse 9, where it reads, quote, if we confess our sins. It is one thing to say, and it's another thing to confess. Everything any of us ever say or confess get this now, very important, is either in the light or in the darkness. There is no twilight zone, no intermediate place. There is no in-between. It's either in the light or in the darkness. This doesn't mean to say that we're not still struggling with sin, that we aren't still sinners. But everything we say or confess or even do is ultimately either in the light of Jesus Christ as members of his church or in the darkness of the world, in the lies and deception of the world. So you might be thinking, well, Pastor, you've made it uh, pretty difficult here. I know myself to be a sinner, and... I cannot totally trust myself with regard to what I say or confess. And my pastoral response to you would be, if you feel that way, and you trust Jesus Christ as your only hope, goodness, and justification, then you are in the light. Whether you feel like it, or sense it, or even know it, In a certain sense, you are in the light, and that, dears, is a great place to be, to be in the light. Well, let's look at verses 5 through 10, 1 John 1, and be wise to the nature of sayings in light of God's character using in light in a sort of pun sense there. We've already broached the sayings dynamic of today's text, so without further ado, let us now investigate the nature of sayings in light of God's character. First, they are proven or debunked via the test of love for Christ, verses 5 through 7. Now, children, the word debunked means to be shown to be false. So they're either proven to be true or false by the test of love. Let's read verses 5 through 7, where we read, This is the message we have heard from him, that's Christ, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So why do we say that these three verses really boil down to love? And we don't see the word love there. But why do we rightly draw that conclusion? Well, that's a good question, if you're wondering that. The answer is because without love for God in and through Jesus Christ alone, there is no such thing as these three things mentioned in these verses. First, an appreciation of God as light. If we don't love God, are we going to appreciate the fact that he is light? (laughs) No, in fact, we're going to be upset about that. We read verse 5 that God is light. Secondly, there can be no participation with other Christian churchmen in true fellowship, verse 7a, if we don't have the love of God in our hearts. And thirdly, there would be no cleansing from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, verse 7b, Love, dears, drives, and covers it all. Everything. Let us also notice the warning, though, in the middle verse, verse 6, quoting, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is an important thing for religious people to especially take note of. This is one of the reasons that we drive home constantly the ordinary means of grace, the importance of church, worship, Keeping one's vows and commitments. When you make those covenant vows before God, He holds you to those. And those people that break those are called liars. And those few people that are able to keep them by God's grace are called truth tellers. Not because they're so great, but because a great God has worked in them. And this is a very important thing to notice. What is the test of love for Christ? Well, the acid test probably is John fourteen fifteen obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But nobody can obey without faith, and faith, if it's to be real or authentic and not false, always leads to love or affection for God through Jesus Christ which then issues forth in willing compliance or obedience faith love obedience it's extremely interesting here dears if you notice that the christian churchman who walks in the spirit or the light as per verse 7 already has his or her sins forgiven even before consciously confessing them as per verse 9 isn't that amazing Verse 9's confession of sin, which we're going to look at momentarily, Lord willing, much like what you faithful church Christians did a few moments ago in this worship service, where I didn't give you a lot of time, but a little bit of time, to silently confess those sins that were at the forefront of your hearts, and then... You who are in Christ receive from, not me, but God, your Heavenly Father, the full assurance that in Jesus Christ, in his blood atonement, all your sins are washed away. That is more really as per Jesus' teaching about foot washing in John 13.10 than it is anything else. And so there's a sense in which you got your feet washed because your souls are already clean. And that's what this verse is teaching. Isn't that beautiful that we're actually taught that if we walk in Jesus, our sins are constantly being cleansed away. Our confession of sin is more for our benefit than God's. He doesn't need it, but it's helpful for us to unload that sort of stuff from our hearts and once again present it to God for his forgiveness. The nature of sayings in light of God's character, they're proven or debunked via the test of love for Christ, and they are proven or debunked via the test of honesty before Christ, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you were here last Sunday, and I know we have people coming and going, I made made the point that, maybe it was two weeks ago, that the Apostle John is really big on honesty. And he's very hard on liars. He frequently brings that to bear in his very short little epistle here. He's hard on prevaricators, liars, especially religious liars. So, here in verse 8, We see detailed the ways of the classic, proud, sinful liar. And I'll read it again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's the state of everyone outside of Christ. They don't think they're sinners. They're God, so they think. They make the rules, so they think. But it's not true. Then verse 9 records for us the habit of humble, contrite, broken, repentant, Faithful, sinful, but saintly truth-tellers. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The glories of verse 9 for the redeemed churchmen should not be overlooked or glossed over. Let's look at them for a moment, and they talk about God. First of all, he is faithful, which means, among other things, that God keeps his word of promise to us via Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 1, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Next, God is, quote, just. There's, do you understand the important theological teaching of the Holy Bible? And I would reference for you in particular Romans 3.26 in this regard, that God is actually just in forgiving regenerated Christian sinner saints that make up his church. In fact, we could argue that God would be unjust if he didn't do that. And the reason God is just in forgiving elect sinner saints who have received the atonement of Christ in his church is because their sins have been paid for, completely, utterly paid for. So if God was to charge our account again, that would be double jeopardy. And God is just. He is just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus, as per that aforementioned Romans 3.26. And lastly, we see where, quote, God cleanses his church children from all unrighteousness. To say it another way, from God's angle, he beholds in us, get this, he beholds in every single one of you who still know yourselves to be sinners, but you love God and Jesus Christ and you're faithful to his covenant, he doesn't behold any sin in you whatsoever. Now, I understand that that is hard to believe, but actually it's true. And the reason for that is you're covered by the blood of the Lamb as you walk in the Spirit. We might say, how is that possible, Pastor? How can it be? Well, Because God, our Heavenly Father, who loves his children, has worked a great miracle through the work of the Holy Spirit who applies the atonement to dead, lost, rebellious, hateful souls that are alienated from God and makes them his children. He took what was dead, lost, sinful, and bad and made us alive and lovely, even loving. And we, the saints of the church, possess all of this glory, not because we're so good. We aren't good at all. We have no goodness, no righteousness, no justice, nothing good in us at all. It's all because of what Jesus Christ did for us in shedding his precious blood on the cross, rising from the dead ascending into heaven, presenting his blood to the fathers, the propitiation, the satisfaction for all the sins of the elect church of all time. And then on Pentecost Sunday, pouring out the Holy Spirit upon his church, which Holy Spirit in fullness we enjoy 2,000 years later today, and we celebrate Pentecost Sunday next Sunday, Lord willing. Isn't that beautiful? All that forgiveness, all that glory, all that wonder, all that amazement is not in us, but it's in Jesus Christ, our Lord, King, representative head. Nature of sayings in light of God's character proven to be right or debunked via the test of love for Christ, test of honesty before Christ. Finally, they're proven or debunked via the test of faith in Christ, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, verse 10 is really a rephrasing of verse 8, except that in verse 8, the lie is directed at one's own heart. And here in verse 10, the liar seeks to direct the lie to God and lay it at his feet. But of course, this cannot be done. Hebrews 6.18, among many other places in the Bible, teaches us that it is impossible for God to lie. In fact, later in this very little tome of 1 John, John says the same thing as well. It's impossible for God to lie, but conversely, it's impossible for fallen, unregenerate, hateful sinners to do anything but lie, especially in the important areas of life. Now, they can, they can tell the truth in the subordinate areas of life where it does them some good. We're not claiming that every single thing they ever say is always a lie, but in the important areas of life with regard to God, church, theology, the gospel, they're liars. And you can read Psalm 116, verse 11, as one evidence of proof of that. So, the question is, what better who is able to save us from this inveterate habit of lying, the habit in which the morass of the fallen world we live in blindly wanders every day. This week you're going to hear so many lies. You're going to hear people's lie about politics, lie about campaigns, lie about advertisements, lie about this, lie about that. The world is a place of lies. How do we get out of that? Jesus Christ, the truth. Christ himself, speaking of himself, said this as recorded in John's gospel at verse 55b and 56 out of chapter 8 of John. He said, I know God. If I were to say that I do not know God, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So what characterized Abraham? By the way, was he a perfect truth teller all the time? I don't think so. Remember the time he deceived about his wife? But ultimately at heart, Abraham was a man of faith. That's what characterized him, and he loved God. And he looked forward to Jesus Christ. His faith was in and is in Jesus Christ. Christ himself said, Abraham saw my day and was glad for it. Abraham, the father of our faith, man of faith, that's what we're to be. Men, women, boys, and girls of faith in Christ alone. Let's do a little more application this morning and understand why Christ's message and our words must match up. Now, I say must match up, but will they always match up perfectly? Of course not. I just mentioned Abraham. He wasn't perfect in all things, and even everything he said. That won't always perfectly match up in this difficult sanctification process we're in right now. But in Christ Jesus, in our justification, in his person the one who pristinely represents us, they do coordinate seamlessly by God's grace. But from our perspective now, let us seek to get a practical handle on why Christ's message and our words must match up. First, because unless we know ourselves to be sinners, we're hopelessly condemned. You might say, well, isn't that the easiest thing in the world to come to? Actually, dears, it's impossible. I've already argued that Everyone outside of Christ, really at the heart, does not believe themselves to be sinners. In fact, they believe themselves in some form to be God. It is a very difficult thing to believe that you are a sinner. But it's such an important and basic truth. One of my favorite pictures in the Bible is the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee taken from Luke's Gospel at chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. The tax collector doesn't even lift up his eyes, stands far off, beats himself. He asks God for mercy, he knows he's a sinner. The Pharisee says, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. He's such a bad, rotten guy. I'm, I'm a good guy. I pay my taxes. I do everything that the law tells me to do, supposedly. Of course, he didn't. He didn't keep the first two commandments of the law. I love God with all the heart, mind, soul, and love one's neighbor as self let alone any of the Ten Commandments, but he thought he did. <clears throat> he goes home, the Pharisee goes home condemned. And the, and the poor tax collector goes home justified. Totally clean. Justified. Beautiful story. People who refuse to believe that they must have God in Jesus Christ are literally impossible to be saved they cannot be saved while they are in that state of mind and being anyone who is still in the in the mindset that they don't need god in jesus christ cannot be saved but they can be saved if god does a marvelous work in them remember what we learned from verses 8 and 10 of our lesson for today if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us we say we've not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. As the great John Calvin so brilliantly noted in the first chapter of his great Institutes of the Christian Religion, we have to know who we are truthfully in order to know who God is in Jesus Christ at all. Otherwise, it means nothing to us. And that is why, dears, Christ's message and our words must match up. Because unless we know ourselves to be sinners, we're hopelessly condemned. And yet, if we do know this, we may be wondrously forgiven in Jesus alone. Christ Jesus did not come to this fallen planet to save righteous people who don't need God. Instead, he came here to save sinners who do. And I reference for you those words from Luke 5.32. This means we have to be and know ourselves to be sinners in order to qualify for forgiveness, eternal life, all good things, and heaven. Most of all, Christ himself. But from our vantage point, who are these people who receive God's forgiveness and Jesus' blood atonement and propitiation? Well, <clears throat> from our vantage point, these are those people who confess themselves to be sinners And in who, in utter desperation, with no reliance upon themselves or their own alleged good works or deeds or character, cast themselves wholeheartedly upon Jesus Christ by faith. That is the message we have for the church and the world. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And because of that, God has this wonderful character... It's manifest in this glorious forgiveness of sins, which closes out this wonderful first chapter of 1 John. There's for the world, there is a message through the church, and that is there is hope, but that hope is only in Jesus. Everything else is a lie and a deception. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Don't forget it. There is no in-between. When it comes to the important areas, Christ, the truth, the gospel, the church, true church, in the light. The world, death, sin, hell, Satan, heresy, all in the darkness. Beloved, Christ's message for the church and the world is a glorious one. Let us be those who preach, share, live, and spread the message of Christ for the church and the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for that. It's a glorious message there at the end of the first chapter of First John. Thank you that you haven't left the whole world in the state of sin and death, you've called out your people and placed them in the house of prayer for all the nation's place of light, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you that you've been good and gracious to us. We don't deserve it. We deserve your wrath and condemnation, but you haven't done that. You've given us your very best. Everything good in Christ, and now we get to eat and drink of him in the sacrament. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.